Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 streaming now at kdow.biz and the odyssey app the views and opinions expressed by rob black and his guests are not necessarily those of kdow or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision Insightful, informative, irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investment, and Do not be shy. There is a good reason to pay attention on Wall Street right now as things tend not to change in one day. There tends not to be any one pivotal moment that we go, aha, that's when I should have sold all my growth stocks. Aha, that's when I should have bought all of my value stocks. It's not typically that way. For me, what I think we're seeing a little bit of a transition in, and it's kind of a, a catch-up for the market maybe. Some laggards are starting to inflate a bit. Careful on the word inflate, Rob. And some leaders are kind of getting back to the median, getting back to the norm of where they should be. Then you get some of the high flyers from last year turning out to be once and done. And some high flyers from last year finding a much more 2022 type evaluation versus a 2020-2021 type evaluation where we're giving them a little bit more leeway. For instance, I think the uh, classic example here has to be Peloton. Investors deserved and rightfully did push that stock higher and higher and higher. But as the pandemic starts to slow down and you're hearing more people going to gyms, not a lot, but more. And you're hearing some of the negatives like recalls on their treadmill. You need to start discounting the stock because of reality, those two things. So we're seeing a lot of moving parts right now. Nothing is freaking me out yet. Because I keep thinking about a big, fat, Check. Memorial Day is expected to jump 60% in travel this year. Are you going to go anywhere fun? Or is the price of, gas, uh, is the price of gasoline going to kill you? Um, good points. It had spending day on Wall Street yesterday. The When I left you, 
at 9 a.m. Pacific time. The markets were in the toilet. And it was like your car keys in the toilet after, well, let's just say a couple unfortunate accidents in the toilet. No, God, please, no, no. Someone has to put their hand in there and grab them. No. So the market, someone put, put their hand in the market yesterday and pulled the NASDAQ out of that muck. Head spinning. The Dow had its worst trading day since February. Roblox had a massive up day. Who was the first person to ever tell you about Roblox? Hmm? I'm very and, important. I'm very important. And what's the funniest part about it is it's the most inane video game platform I've ever seen. If I was six, I would be stoked because when I was six, we had things like Pong or worse. Uh, we had text adventures. <laughs> like We couldn't even draw pictures. We had to, to have the computer text us. Very first computer game I played, I think I was in, I was in third grade and my father brought home a computer. That would have made it like 76, maybe. Um, and you hooked it up to a phone coupler and it dialed into the defense department. And they had a couple games in there. One of them was hockey. And I want to say it was Olympic hockey. And you'd choose the USA or Russia. And, you know, hit one to choose the USA. Hit two to choose Canada. Hit three to choose Russia. Hit four. And then it would play the, you know, the national anthem just played. It would come through with some teletype kind of thing. Do you want your centerman to pass it or shoot? Do you want your right wing to pass it or shoot? And then it would go, go. And it was like, hit one or hit two. Hit one or hit two. Anyway, totally digressing. This is a big story. So anyway, Roblox is, they had a great day, an, an amazing day. They had great earnings. They still had great growth. Wall Street's willing to find these guys, up 21% yesterday. The NASDAQ climbed out of a major hole. That was um, kind of a, I, I kind of want it to fall apart, to be honest with you. I don't want it to always buy on the dip when it's down 3%. I want it to go down 10%, really shake out the weekends. As of last night, at least 35 Palestinians and five Israelis have been killed by a rocket fire following weeks of escalating tensions in Jerusalem between Palestinian protesters and Israeli police. Now, I could take one of two angles on this and say the Palestinians and the Israelis have hated each other for 2,000 years, and they used to throw sticks and stones at each other, and now they're throwing rockets. And you're hearing things like an iron shield that Israel uses to protect itself. It is a pretty cool technology, but it's a weird thing that we have to use that in this day and age. This this has the potential to explode. Um, it's the first time we've talked about deaths between Palestinians and Israelis in a very long time. And there happens to be a lot of oil. And, oh, the Suez Canal is right there. We've already learned what a ship going sideways down the Suez Canal can do. Very stressful time for oil. Some experts worry the next step is an all-out war. And then you get the whole Bitcoin Russian hack where the Russian hackers have said, we're sorry, we didn't know we are going to cause gas shortages. We just wanted dirty money, ransomware. And that should be Joe Biden's number one thing. He should he should block Bitcoin. 
say it's in the interest, best interest of the United States because right now what's happening is ransomware and hostage situations are being done in Bitcoin because you can't trace it. So if I go to Mexico and I get kidnapped, um, they're going to ask for Bitcoin, not dollars. Maybe cut down on the kidnappings and the hackings if you remove the non-traceable asset known as Bitcoin. It's not necessarily a well-thought-out idea yet, but if it gets regulated, watch out below. A new cryptocurrency exchange is something we can talk about. It's called uh, Bullish Global. Bullish Global. It's got a $10 billion of crypto assets preloaded and ready to trade, including 164,000 Bitcoins. It got its initial capital from Block.1. You almost need a scorecard that can decipher gibberish to follow what's going on in decentralized finance right now. Um, Also known as DeFi. I know you're saying Wi-Fi is wireless fiber. That's a weird one, right? You think of Wi-Fi as telecommunication signals over the air, but it's wireless fiber. And now we have a new one, DeFi, decentralized finance. When you borrow money, trade stocks, Apple Pay, purchase a coffee, a middleman, a bank, a brokerage, someone makes that transaction happen. Decentralized finance cuts out that third party by running everything on blockchains, meaning all transactions are made directly. So Starbucks doesn't have to pay the 1% that Visa wants or the half of 1% or whatever the the fee is. When you get a a brokerage, a mortgage situation, you can get the pure money instead of having a bank borrow the money and then they lend it to a, a region and the regional bank lends it to credit unions or credit unions lend it to. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> oh, the allergy season's lingering for one more week. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Portions of our programming are brought to you by our good friends at Provident Credit Union. With 21 Bay Area locations to serve you and your banking needs, visit ProvidenceCU.org. Now back to Rob Black and your money with your host, Rob Black, on the Bay Area's business leader, AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and money. I'm Rob Black. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. Huge moment for green energy. There's two stories that I see out there today that are huge moments. Gasoline shortages in the south, which strangely makes me happy when other people are suffering something that I don't suffer from. I'm like, it's good not to be in the south. I don't really mean that, but that's why instantly my head is wired to say that out loud. Gas shortages intensify in the southeast with 71% of Charlotte stations now dry. That's a big moment for green energy. The Elon Musks of the world's electric vehicle makers are all going sweet as they drive their Teslas right by you. That's going to make some converts out of some people. 
some 15-year-old kids are going to remember that time they couldn't go out on Friday night to the movies with their friends because their car. Mom and dad said, we don't know when we're ever going to get gas again. I've seen gas shortages before. I've seen gas at $4.50. I've seen gas under a dollar a gallon. It, it never – it tends to act as its own slowdown device. Um, as it goes up in cost, we reduce our driving. When it goes down, we tend to say, let's go get big old SUVs that are gas guzzlers. It kind of takes care of itself like a tax. Um, but that's not the big green moment of the day. A big green moment for the United States came this moment when the U.S. gives the go-ahead for its first major offshore wind farm. The U.S. still has a long way to go before it catches up with more mature markets like the European wind farms. The offshore wind sector took a major, 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 major step forward with the new operation of what's called the 800-megawatt Vineyard Wind One Project. So we're going to start constructing and operating something that will generate 3,600 jobs as well as power for 400,000 homes and businesses. Um, I see that as a positive. I see it as big business. I see it as putting people to work. This is what I would refer to as infrastructure that puts people to work and does good things. Strangely now, this is where I get the cynic in me comes in. Does anyone ever think our price of heating our home in the winter is going to go down? I don't. Even when the wind and the sun are making most of the energy? No, nah, I still don't. Um, someone still has to operate that grid, and for some reason that tells me things aren't going to be changing. So a first-of-its-kind project, offshore wind sector. Um, it's pretty interesting because a couple years ago, I'd say maybe eight years ago, I went to one of the islands on Hawaii and you can tell me which one it is, probably from the story. But the natives, or the islanders, not too happy with the wind farms that were going up on the sides of hills. Um, look at the beauty of Hawaii. And then you're like, these machines, we see them all day long. And on one hand, they're like, we want to use less gas and oil. We want to protect the environment. And yet we don't want to – like there's – it's my it's my thought of life. There's It's always a compromise. Do you want the perfect woman? Do you want the perfect house? Do you want the perfect car? I don't think they exist. So that's pretty big news. Um, in March, the Department of Energy, Interior, and Commerce said they wanted offshore wind capacity to hit 30 gigawatts by 2030. A move the Biden administration hopes will generate house thousands of jobs and unlock billions of dollars in investments. So what's going to get a billionaire to part with his money? A return on investment? Energy. Natural gas and coal share right now. Um, listen to this. This is pretty interesting. The share – the share. Let me, that, that sounds funny to say out loud for some reason. The share of energy divvied up. Wind's share of utility-scale electricity generation hits about 8.4%. That's pretty interesting. 
natural gas and coal. Natural gas is at 40%. Coal is at 19%. Fossil fuels have 60% share, while nuclear renewables have about 19% each. Interesting. You can see how the numbers could just a little 1% here, 1% there. That's why Elon Musk, he's only starting to amass his wealth. I'm not saying Tesla's not overvalued or undervalued. I'm saying that the mandates to go electric are huge. And when you move from – it's the same exact argument I made with Apple years ago. When Max had 2% penetration in the PC market, people would go buy a computer. 98% bought Microsoft or Google powered notebooks, desktops. 2% were buying Mac powered. I'm like, it's a lot easier to go from 2% to 3% to 4% where you just doubled your market than it is to go from 90% to 180. We're like, you could go above that. Same thing's going on with electric vehicles. And yet I live in the land of electric vehicles. It is so obnoxious to go to Palo Alto and see just He's got a Tesla, 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 Tesla. It's like that movie from, or the, the line from the history of the world where the lady is walking down a line of men and she goes, no, 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 yes. No, 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 yes. Um, when you see Tesla, it's Tesla, 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 Ford, Tesla, 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 GM. That's Palo Alto for you. A friend of mine named Palo Alto, Shallow Alto, and I don't really disagree with it. But I'm okay with it. A uh, little bit of a sad negative story to report to you. The after effects of the pandemic. College students are spending more on credit cards. But it's one of the worst types of debt. If I can get rid of any financial product. You know, sometimes you'd play dodgeball or kickball. And you'd get to pick, like, the guy with the biggest legs first and, the one you never really wanted was the Mr. Irrelevant, the last person picked. If I can get one of get rid of one ear one financial product that people use, it would probably be credit cards. Um I know way too many people that juggle way too much debt on credit. College students are spending more on credit cards. It's one of the worst types of debts to have. 19% of college students expect to take on more debt because their family has been financially impacted. Half of college students, 53%, are charging purchases to two or more credit cards. That's up from 41% last year, nearly double 25% when it was down in 2012. These balances swell quickly and they get out of hand easily. One of the weird things that I say on occasion is, you can let your kids get into all sorts of trouble. Don't let them get into credit debt. It'll kind of ruin their 20s. We'll talk about that and more. Ooh, Mr. O'Hare coming up. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money investing and more. Listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. This is how the song that I need my dog. 
Alt J. And um, song called In Cold Blood. Zero one one zero one one one. So it's code for murder. And when I scream into the dog park, people get freaked out. Let's bring in the one, the only briefing.com. Patrick O'Hare giving us his perspectives on the market. It seems like we're going to be sitting on every word that you say right now and hanging on it and trying to figure out the direction of the markets. Mr. O'Hare, is that the kind of market we're in right now? <laughs> yeah, no pressure there, Rob, but <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> all, the correction, you know, all the correction. Right. So, well, the market is, is certainly kind of in a, uh, um, a, a tough spot at the moment, right? You know, it, it has a lot to still look forward to, but part of that, what's now coming into focus, of course, is that um, uh, is, is with this improving economy, you know, and with all of the stimulus that's out there, um, you could be running into, you know, inflation issues that preempt this bull market. Um, you know, we've talked about this in past sessions and, and, you know, the thing is, you know, the Fed could ultimately be proven right, you know, that, uh, with its belief that these near-term inflation pressures will be transitory. But as I've said to you before, you know, what the Fed thinks isn't as important what the market thinks. And so we're kind of like just sort of hanging there on a knife's edge, if you will, it seems like, as to whether the market is going to continue to allow the Fed to have some benefit of the doubt for the time being or whether it's going to get out ahead and uh, remind the Fed that it's, that it's playing with fire, as Stanley Druckenmiller suggested yesterday, uh, and uh, needs to do something to kind of help put out that fire before you inflame um, an asset bubble and before you let inflation really uh, get out of hand. Let me ask an odd question on this inflation. I get you and I are talking about stimulus and trillions of dollars and that should create some inflation just because we're buying stuff we're putting people to work they're consuming stuff stuff has to be made shortages you inflate prices but how about some of this i don't want to call it faux inflation but hackers breaking into a pipeline inflating the price of gas um as we can't deliver the goods even though we have the goods it should go away once the price increase should go away once the goods are delivered if they get back online, which we all assume they will. And the other types of inflation, like the Middle East, um, where the Israelis and the Palestinians are fighting pretty aggressively, and they just happen to be sitting on a lot of oil under that land and an oil pathway through the Suez Canal, that too should resolve itself at some point in time and let the inflation go back down, the tense, tension inflation or whatever we want to call it. Do you think the Fed's factoring in – I don't think these are black swan events, but they're certainly not something we're accounting for. Yeah. Uh, tough question. Um, okay. That's why I'm kind of pausing here. I, I think yeah, the, me too. You know, the, rea- yeah, the reality, though, Rob, is like let's just take – let's remove those issues from the equation. And, you know, what – uh, what the Fed needs to contend with and what all of us are going to need to contend with is whether in if this recovery, this global recovery, uh, accelerates like a lot of people are predicting it will, well, then just general demand could pick up in such a way that it's going to outstrip supply for a long period of time because there's been a, you know, there was some uh, terrific amount of underinvestment in the energy patch uh, leading up to the pandemic and certainly during the pandemic, right? And so, 
you could still have supply constraints there, even, you know, absent any of these exogenous factors that can drive up inflation in the short term. Um, you could still have those supply constraints that keep prices headed higher in the longer term that do prove more sustain- sustainable. And really the, the other add-on effect with inflation right now is, is inflation expectations. You know, things have been so kind of disinflationary for, for so long, and you have a lot of companies now that are finally regaining some, some pricing power. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and you, you have consumers that are just flush with cash out there, and there's just so much cash sitting out on the sidelines even. And then, uh, and then you have a lot of cash that's wrapped up in, in the stock market, uh, which hasn't been, you know, uh, liquidated yet, if you will. Um, so there's a lot of pent-up spending potential. And, uh, you know, the money supply has picked up tremendously. And, and so there's, there's a lot of tinder there. And, um, you know, you just, it, you can make a plausible case as well on the other side of the Fed's own view that, uh, that the inflation pickup will be something other than temporary. And, and so that's why these next few months here, uh, probably the next, say, three to six months, are going to be a little dicey period. I think you're going to see the market kind of like really vacillate uh, and, and not knowing kind of where it should be going with its inflation view. Uh, and so you'll have some days that are good, some days that are bad, and uh, ultimately maybe just not making much headway overall at the index level for the stock market. To give our listeners a little perspective, Mr. O'Hare writes the page one column every day for briefing.com. I'd say about 60% of your page one today was dedicated to inflation. So it, it's really in our heads at this point in time. I can't find stories to do for television later today that aren't inflation-oriented. But I think the reality is I saw Electronic Arts report earnings last night, Roblox earlier this week, but it feels like earnings season's coming to an end. We didn't really do much during earnings season. There weren't there was spectacular winners and losers, but very few. It was kind of dull in my opinion, even though the earnings were pretty strong. What are your thoughts coming to the close of the earnings season for the first quarter? Well, I, th- I think you summed that up very well, Robin. It was a fantastic earnings season. You know, we're pushing a, a close to fifty percent year over year growth in first quarter earnings. Uh, when the reporting period started, I think we were just under uh, expectations. We were put, uh, calling for about 24% year-over-year growth. So we, we you know, we doubled that that number. And uh, and yet you have an S&P 500 that is now, I think, down slightly uh, relative to when J.P. Morgan reported its results before the open uh, on April 14th. Um, so, yeah, you didn't gain much traction. And this is kind of one of the uh, cross-currents I talked about in my page one column this morning where – um, you know, you've had, uh, you have this peak growth narrative out there, right? And, mm-hmm. and if you're buying into the peak growth narrative that things are as good as they're going to get or about to be as good as they're going to get, well, then that should help tamp down some of the, uh, narrative that relates to inflation, you know, <laughs> accelerating in a big way. Because if you're going to get much slower growth, um, you know, then you should see some of those inflation pressures mitigated. But, but we're not there yet. It's just it's just all of these these cross currents here as to what could happen, and not really knowing or having a really good sense of which one of those views is going to win out. Um, and and peak growth, you know, if you go from let's you know say six percent GDP growth to say four percent, well, four percent still above potential, right? And so you're still running pretty good. Um, so again, you kind of have to get a little color behind what you know what's the rate of change from that peak growth. 
and how it can ultimately dictate uh, the trend in earnings estimates uh, and economic growth um, moving forward. I heard one CNBC commentator yesterday mention something along the lines of there's just too many companies coming public in SPACs, and we just don't need that many enterprise software companies solving the same problem in a slightly different way. We need more cool things like Roblox, which has a whole platform for six-year-olds. So that like it's almost saying there's a bifurcation of stocks. Like there's some unique stuff, and then there's a lot of people doing the same exact thing. But there's just too many. Do you buy into the idea that we've we've had too many SPACs and too many IPOs in the last year, flooding the market with choices, and we need some of them to fail so that we can send our dollars to the more relevant winners? I, I don't know if that's really a question, but something like that. Right. Oh, uh, you know, to be honest, I don't I don't track the the number of IPOs and okay. and uh, SPACs. Specifically, I think you know, from my vantage point, you know, when I when I consider the SPACs, it's more uh, a, a little bit, you know, more of a sign of the speculative mania that kicked in uh, when they were coming in fast and furious. It seemed, uh, and uh, you know, no questions were being asked. It was just, you know, it was a nice thematic play on a uh, a SPAC play, and therefore money just gravitated toward toward it. And now we've seen, of course, most SPACs really get spanked. Um, and I'm not sure when they'll be able to, to rebound to any great extent. But uh, so I, I looked at it more from kind of a more of a, uh, I don't know, topping maybe is the wrong word because I don't want to convey that, you know, the stock market sure. is topping. I'm just saying that when you get that type of rush of, uh, of new listings, um, it does kind of stand out as a as a, 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 a caution sign that, you know, we've kind of hit a point where the market needs to take a step back, uh, digest some of the gains that it's had, and throw out some of those really nonsense companies or, you know, nonsense stocks that have been going up exponentially and, and get back to fundamentals. Um, and that was really something I alluded to in yesterday's page one column that, you know, at the end of the day, valuations always matter and they can be sus- suspended for a while. But, you know, when you come back to it, when interest rates go up um, or, you know, there's some issue looming out there that can seriously curtail earnings prospects um, or sales prospects, for that matter, for companies that don't make any money, um, you know, those stocks tend to come in really, really hard. And we've seen that happen. And it's just another reminder to a lot of people that, um uh, that valuations do matter in the stock market. We've got less than a minute left, so let's wrap up there. But next week, I'll pick your mind on what you're looking forward down the road to reporting on. It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com, a reliable source of domestic and international news. I use it every day. I've used it every day for over 20 years when the markets are open. That's a stunning like endorsement, and there's no endorsement going on. There's no cash change of hands. It's just a great tool. With that said, all the markets are in the red, Um, the Russell, the NASDAQ, the Dow, and the S&P 500. This inflation story is taking grip. Um, Where does it go? Is it temporary or not? That'll be your buying opportunity or selling scenario. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial.
Portions of our programming are brought to you by our good friends at Provident Credit Union. With 21 Bay Area locations to serve you and your banking needs. Now, back to Rob Black and your money with your host, Rob Black. On the Bay Area's business leader, AM 1220 KDOW. About 10 years ago, I read a survey said 29% of Americans, 28.9%, I don't know why I remember that, remember where they were when Kennedy was shot. While he was riding in a motorcade through downtown Dallas. The news from the event rippled across America and into American psyche through radio and television. I think probably the closest thing my generation has, where were you on 9-11? I could tell you so many physical emotions on 9-11. I could tell you when my parents heard the news that Kennedy was shot, they were eating hot dogs at a picnic, and they threw them up. Everyone started throwing up at the picnic. Everyone was sickened by the news. And I'm like, is that a real story, or are you guys embellishing? They never ate hot dogs again. That's how deep it got into the parents' psyche. 9-11. I remember I did five straight hours of radio. Um, I happened to do a radio show that's on at 6 in the morning East Coast time, and it was broadcast out to the West Coast, so you were waking up at 9 o'clock in California. I was telling you about how the market was going to open, and uh, the plane started hitting, and I was getting all my news sources together. I still have those five hours on CD. One day I want to play them for my kids, but I don't know. Maybe that will happen. Maybe it won't. But uh, I still remember um, at the end of those five hours going outside and looking up in the sky. I lived about two miles from the Pentagon. And so I can smell the fuel. I remember looking up in the sky and not seeing one plane in the air. Every now and then, like an F-15 would roar by. But Washington, D.C. has got a ton of air traffic. It was the weirdest sight I've ever seen. I don't think I'll ever see that sight again. At least hopefully, right? So I'm about to break news to you. And you maybe want to be sitting down. Ellen DeGeneres is quitting her daytime TV talk show. After 19 seasons, Ellen DeGeneres' long-running daytime talk show will come to an end. Basically a victim of the cancel culture. She was mean to her staff. The staff started leaking that information. And the person who comes across as super nice is super canceled because of a toxic work culture, discrimination, sexual harassment. She's 63 years old. She's been a pioneer for the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer community. Is that the queer? Is that fair of me to say? The LGBTQ community? Since her, yep, I'm gay, time cover which it torpedoed her career in 1997. She was on TV sh- hit sitcoms as the girl next door that boys could fall in love with. And I'm like, uh-oh. Uh-oh, this is going to have a, t- a tough sell. Um, but she's quitting. So she's won 64 daytime Emmys. Um, I now will ask you in 10 years, do you remember where you were when Ellen DeGeneres ended her long time? Running daytime talks to see a show. Now, who's the big winner here? Um, anyone who's doing daytime talk right now. It's like when Oprah quit, that opened the door for Ellen. 
Uh, now that Ellen's going, who's going to take the, the, the reins? Will it be Kelly Clarkson? Or that little girl, Drew Barrymore from E.T.? I don't really like daytime talk shows, so I don't really care, but that's all I got for you. You know the TV Vizio? You've been in Best Buy, or you've seen Vizios, right? V-I-Z-I-O. And they're always like a little bit cheaper than Sony's or Samsung's. Did you know that they make nearly as much money from selling data of what you're watching as they do from the TV? That's a fascinating insight into business. Apple doesn't have to stoop to that, where they just make the money on the hardware and the software, right? They're not selling data yet. An Amazon box came to my house yesterday because I'm kind of a big deal. I'm part of that club of Amazon. And it had a Ford 150 sticker on it. So not only do when I go to Amazon do I see ads now. What was, oh, I had to buy. Oh, kids schooling is about to end the school from home. <laughs> and uh, hard drive fails. An eight-year-old hard drive fails. Go figure. So I had to go shopping for a new hard drive form. And while I saw that, I, I saw ads for hard drives. But when it's delivered, it was delivered in a box that said Ford F-150. Um, and that creeps me out a little bit. I mean, Amazon could sell anything anywhere. But the TV that you bought, Vizio, they're selling that you're registering. And when you register to get updates and keep the warranty valid, you give them your name, your age, you give them your address. Sometimes you might give them how much money you make a year. And then they take that information and they go, well, we got this guy in 94070. That's his zip code, so we know exactly. And he bought it on this date. And look, he's bought three TVs from us. And he watches, um, what do I watch? Oh, I, I, I'm watching a really great show on the History Channel called Jugs. <laughs> I know you're saying. Boy, is this great. I know you're saying. You're kidding, right? You're trying to make a, a naughty, dirty boy reference. Yes. Um, but Vizio, they also have sound bars. They know what we're watching, and they can sell that to advertisers. Facebook is going to have a fascinating next two quarters because Apple turned on the do not track me privacy feature. And Facebook was in the business of saying, oh, wow, Rob's searching for hard drives. Rob's searching for jugs. Rob's searching for – they were able to sell that information to advertisers. 95.5% of people – have opted out of being tracked by apps. So your privacy's having a good day, but that's not a good day for Facebook or Twitter. It'll be interesting to see how they do in the next couple quarters because ad rates drop precipitously. Can they make it up elsewhere? Of course they can. Can they do a little financial engineering? Yes. But will we see through it? Financial community will. It's going to be interesting. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Walking on the moon. We could-